In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and have a seat. Well, good morning. Um, I feel like it needs to be said. Uh, I am Pastor Promise. It's a very odd thing to say Pastor Promise in reference to myself. I normally go by just Promise. Have you guys ever thought about this? Like, pastors are like, maybe doctors sometimes as well, but like, you don't like go around and say, hi, teacher, this person, or hi, counselor, this, like, Pastor Promise, or I don't know. It's a weird thing. Anyways, I'm Pastor Promise, not Preacher Promise, as Pastor Carla might get you to believe, um, and I'm super glad that I can be here with you guys this morning um, and carry us another step forward in our Exodus journey. Just quick show of hands if you were here last Sunday. Yeah? Great. What did Pastor Andrew talk about? What was the theme? We were here, but were we here? All right. Good. Now we know. Last week was the Red Sea. Last week was incredible. It was one of the coolest miracles, one of the best sermons that I've ever heard on the Red Sea. The Red Sea is a fascinating concept, right? Like, I could never wrap my head around the reality that God parted a sea. Like, let's just not overlook that for a minute. The fact that a sea went pew. It's crazy. Um, but Pastor Andrew took us to that very place in the Exodus journey, and, and he showed us how we have to have the ability and the desire and maybe the step of faith to choose to follow God even before he parts the seas, but he still parted the seas. Now, I, I, I think really interestingly, um, I have a weird way of processing things. So as that sermon was going through, I was thinking about this, this, uh, this movie, this show. I think it's a movie. Um, has anyone here seen The Prince of Egypt? Yeah. Hey, all right, cool. We all know the song. There can be miracles. <laughs> ah, hits the soul, right? Um, rest in peace, Whitney Houston. Anyways, um, so in that movie, uh, it, it, if you've not seen it before, it's DreamWorks' uh, rendition of the Exodus story. And it takes you through all the plagues and, you know, Moses growing up in Egypt, and they take them to the Red Sea. And even though it's, you know, animated, it's still, like, massive and awesome and cool. And it gets me thinking around the idea of what would it have been like for the people of Israel when the sea literally split? Like, let's just... Zoom in on that for a second. What would that have been like to watch the sea go crazy and then to like walk across it? That's like a crazy miracle, right? Like I often wonder like, were they walking on the dry land and then like, you know, there's like a giant whale that comes by, but because there's a wall of water, right? Like, you know, you see the, ref like in the movie, you see the reflection of the whale, but it doesn't actually reach you. Or if you were a fish and it was Red Sea crossing day and you wake up that morning and you're going to your buddy Bob's house or Nemo's house, more appropriate, and you're trying to swim over and all of a sudden you get to this part and you're like, whoa, humans. What am I seeing? A bunch of dudes walking and ladies walking and carrying things. I'm curious if they would have been like, what is happening? Regardless, I think just, I know it's silly, but like the Red Sea splitting is a crazy concept. It's like a miracle. It's, it's like the miracle of miracles. If you were to list out like the best miracles, like top three, the Red Sea's up there. Like if I could go back and see any miracle that would have happened in the past, I feel like that's the one I would have been like, sign me up, get me a ticket, front row seats. I want to I wanna see what really happened. It's a really cool thing, but I think the, the, what we have to take away from the Red Sea and these miracle concepts is that it shows us something that's really, really clear. God has no limit in his capability to provide for his people. Like, if he's going to part a sea, what will he not do? Like, he 
He's just so willing, so capable. He has so much of an ability to provide for his people that he parted the sea for them. It's really the miracle of miracles. And I bring that up because the entire story of Exodus has been quite filled with miracles, whether it's the sea turning, uh, the Nile turning to blood, or the sun going dark for a day, or the livestock, or the frogs, or the flies, or the gnats, or the boils, or the, you just name it. It's just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. It's a bunch of miracles happening. And it makes me wonder, what exactly are all these miracles about? What, what do miracles actually do? Um, and so I wrote a pretty little definition here. It says this, miracles are the inbreaking of the divine, working and providing what we could not naturally achieve ourselves. So just sit on that for a minute. Miracles are the inbreaking of the divine. So something that is done by God and is only working, or keyword here, providing what we could not naturally achieve or do on our own. So many miracles are based around the idea of God's provision. Right, like the Red Sea, the people were, hey, been freed from Egypt, they're on their way, and then they have this giant obstacle, and they need someone to provide them a way over or provide some direction, and God shows up and parts the Red Sea. It's about his provision. He literally provided a way when there was an impossible situation in front of his people. He's, he's never unable to provide. I feel like that's what we get from that. No matter what happens, God will provide for his people. It's who he is, it's what he does, it's part of his name, it's, it's just who God is. But the thing is this, miracles are just one of the ways that he provides, right? Like, it might be the most recognizable, like when we think of a miracle, we think of the supernatural, we think of the big thing, it might be the most recognizable way, but it's only one way that God actually provides for his people. God provides all the time for his people. And so if miracles are just one way, that must mean that there are other ways in which God provides, and I think it's very important that we today wrap our heads around what are some of the other ways that God provides for his people beyond just the obvious supernatural miracle. Is there another way that God chooses to emphatically declare to the world that I am God, that I provide for my people, and to declare to us that I provide for you? Are there other ways in which that happens? And if there are, we've got to be able to recognize it. So that's the key. If there are other ways in which God does provide for you and for me in our journey, then we've got to be able to recognize it. But if we don't realize that it's there, we might miss it only worshiping the God of the supernatural. So as we continue our Exodus story today, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to be looking at the challenges that the people faced when they departed from the Red Sea and in that journey. And it's important that we really pay attention and grab hold of these truths because similar to how God shows us that there's multiple ways that he provided for the people of Israel beyond just the miracle, God also has multiple ways in which he's going to provide for you and me as we too go through our exodus, as we walk away from slavery, are set free and walk into his promise, into his freedom. He has multiple ways of providing, and we've got to be able to recognize that as well. So when we look at Exodus chapter 15 through chapter 17, we are given a series of stories. We're only going to focus on two of them. Two stories, two moments, two locations in which God provides in a way that is different from the big miracle. So for a way to frame these two accounts, and in order to best provide you a great introduction into what these stories are all about, let's take a look at the film today.
Israel have just witnessed one of the most incredible miracles recorded for us in scripture with the parting of the Red Sea and the subsequent removal of the threat against them by Egypt's army. But as is so often the case in our journey to freedom, dramatic moments of God's power are often followed by the seemingly difficult normality of daily life. Israel have a long journey ahead and their days are now consumed with the tough and tedious work of walking through the desert of Shur, one of the most hostile lands on earth. They find themselves stretched daily to their physical and emotional limits, and their water and their food supplies quickly run out. This is not the sort of place you would want to be without food and water. Across this series, I've spent hours walking through deserts like this to get a sense of what it would have been like for Israel in those first few weeks as they journeyed towards the Promised Land. And I can tell you it is unbearably hot. Uh, it is sort of stark and, and barren. There's a, there's a wind blowing right now that's putting sand in my eyes all the time. You might be able to hear some of the wild dogs in this area. I mean, this is not the place you want to spend a lot of time in. I mean, for me, I can escape easy. I can go over there to the van that's air-conditioned and get out of the heat. But the Israelites, this was their life week in and week out. They, they were carrying all of their possessions on their shoulders. They were walking daily, young and old alike. I mean, every day would have felt like a moment of a fight for survival. You know, the parting of the Red Sea in this kind of environment would have felt a long time ago indeed. God is about to change Israel's thinking when it comes to their understanding of his care and provision for them. And it all starts with something as simple as this, a well dug here at Elam right in the heart of the desert itself. You see, Exodus chapter 15 gives us the story of Israel being desperately in need of water. And they suddenly come across this oasis, some 12 wells and 70 palm trees. And, and to be honest, being here, I can really sense how overjoyed Israel would have been to, to finally find the relief of this natural water source. I mean, it's a natural spring at the right time and in the right place. All of which teaches us something quite critical about God's provision in all of our journeys from slavery to freedom. You see, the greatest miracles of God are often found in the most natural of circumstances. Yes, He is the God who parts the Red Seas, but he's also the God who comes and holds all of the world's natural processes in his hands. I mean, the rain that falls and collects in pools like this, the air that we breathe every day, all of them are provisions of God's blessings. You see, the provision of God is quite literally everywhere. And the question that God was asking Israel in this moment was this, do you actually see it? Sometimes the provisions of God are far closer to us than we ever would have expected. Soon after Israel has been provided the water at the wells of Elam, 
They then come here and are attacked by the Amalekites right in the valley of Rephidim. Now, Moses scrambles up to the side of the hill here and he looks down on the valley. And the Bible tells us that if he holds the staff of God in the air, well, then the Israelites are having victory. But if his arms drop, the Amalekites have the victory. Well, for Moses, you can imagine the pressure this put him under. I mean, I've just tried to do this myself. If I hold my arms in the air, I can probably do it for about three minutes before they start to ache and they get a bit heavy. Well, the same thing happens for Moses. His arms get tired. And so he calls on two of his friends, Aaron and Hur, who come alongside of him, hold his arms up and keep his arms high until sunset. And a victory comes for the Israelites. Now, you've probably heard that story before, but I wonder whether you've ever stopped to understand how really strange it is. I mean, think of it this way. The Bible tells us that actually the Israelites were highly outnumbered by the Amalekites. This was not a fair fight, and God gives them a miracle in their victory. And I've always wondered, why didn't God extend that miracle just a little bit more to Moses' arms? Why didn't he give him a supernatural ability to hold his arms in the air? Well, God doesn't. And instead, he has to call on his friends to help him achieve the very thing that God had called him to do. Without Aaron and her by his side, perhaps the victory would never have occurred. And I think all of this tells us something really interesting about God's provision in any of our journeys in Exodus, that so often his greatest power is seen when actually he brings the community around us. It's when we're working together as a team that we can achieve things far greater than we ever would have been able to on our own. In these early moments of the Exodus, we see God's people learning to put their trust in God's provision, even at times when they don't appreciate it. Whether that provision comes to them through supernatural, miraculous ways, or through the natural processes of the created world, or even in the community that God's placed around them. And I want to say this to you about your own Exodus journey. I want you to know that God is at work always providing for your freedom. And my prayer is that he would open your eyes today so you can see it. And so the Elam story takes place after the back, off the back of one of the greatest miracles as we've talked about. Uh, let me set the scene for us a little bit. The people have experienced the sea parting and, and they're, they're going to be walking through the desert. We get the first I think in Exodus 15, you have the first ever worship song that's recorded, right? Because they've just seen God act, work in such a crazy way providing for them. They sing a song praising God for rescuing them, freeing them, destroying the Egyptians, and just liberating them into freedom. And just not shortly after that, they're, they're, they're taken off of that mountaintop place. And, and they're brought into a reality that I feel like most of us are regularly sitting in. It's the reality of the everyday life. So they're no longer at the place where it's like big miracle, wha-bam, God is for us, God is here. Now they're having to do the, the nothing fancy, the nothing big, the, the ordinary, the pretty simple stuff. They've been liberated and they've already had the time of being able to focus on the hyper-spiritual, uh, hyper supernatural stuff. They've seen it. And now God's put them in the boring everyday, ordinary, no fancy miracle time. And, and their job is this. They are migrating out of Egypt, right? So if you're migrating, they've got maybe some backpacks, some, some donkeys, some horses, some carts. They've got all their stuff. 
and they're going to go into the desert. So they're carrying things, walking, they're tired, they're hungry, they're annoyed, they're with people, so they're definitely annoyed, they're frustrated, they're, uh, they're sweaty. It's just, it's, it's, it's daily life. It's what we normally go through pretty much every single day of our life, right? Just the normal stuff. It's not a stage that's set for the supernatural breaking in for liberation. It's the stage that's set for meeting the basic necessities of humanity, of substance, of bread and of water, just the basic stuff. The text tells us that they've traveled for about three days now, which doesn't seem like a very long time. And in those three days, their, their water supply is starting to run low. This is important because you're in the desert, it's hot, and you need to drink. Um, so the people are starting to freak out a little bit, and they get to this area, and the place, they don't have a name for it, but they get there, and they're thinking, okay, maybe we can rest here and, like, you know, get refreshed and replenished. But the water that they find is bitter. So then they can't stay there. Like, no one's going to stay and build and re replenish their, their animals and, and, and take care of themselves with bitter water. So they actually name the place the Hebrew word for bitter, which is mor mora. Um, so they leave that area, and they keep going, and they're getting tired. They're wondering, you know, what's, what's next? Where do we find our place of rest? We just want to chill out. We just want to break. We've been walking in the desert for a few days. And I think it's right there in verse 27 that, that God breaks through in a, in a pretty unpredictable, unnoticeable way, something that I feel like for most of us, we would kind of just read over and not really see. It says this in verse 27, and they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there beside the waters. For the record, Elam sounds like a great place. 70 palm trees, it sounds like a, a good time. So they see that, and they're like, all right, here's a place. And I read that verse because there's nothing really special about what's just happened. They were just walking. There was no staff. There was no, no, no tornado of fire. They're just going. They're just doing their everyday migrating stuff, and they come across the right thing at the right time. They find the right place. No seas are being parted, but now they have a place where they can relax, where they can rest for a little bit before they continue their journey. And it's a point where I feel like it's, it's a bit awkward because we're, it's not a clear picture of God's provision, right? Like, it doesn't say, and then God provided wells, or God provided 70 palm trees to just grow overnight. Like, they just showed up, and there's wells and water to drink. It's not a clear picture of God's provision, but I feel like it's pretty intentional. Think about where this falls. Right after they've had, like, maybe the clearest picture of God's provision, Spartan Red Sea, the whole Nemo thing that I talked about, right? You have that clear picture, and now you have this where I just found some wells and some palm trees. What do I do with that? I feel like it occurs intentionally in Scripture right at that time on purpose for us to understand and see that God is working, God is providing, he's leading and he's guiding, even in the moments that are not so obvious. That, that placing of that. I mean, I wonder if we would consider our Exodus journey and where we're going with everything. I feel like for us, a lot of days are anticlimactic right? Not too much is happening all the time. It's pretty basic, pretty mundane, pretty ordinary, just living life, waking up, getting on the train, going to work, being annoyed at my friends, drinking four coffees. It's just part of the regular average day. And, 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 and it can be a bit challenging for us to, to see God in that. Like, where is God moving? There's no big miracle happening, so is God even active? Is he still a part of this journey, or am I just doing my everyday stuff by myself? I think that we have to realize that just because your Red Sea moment is behind you does not mean the best moments are in the past. 
God, the miracle worker who parts Red Seas, is the same God who just basically leads and guides us step by step to where we need to go. He's the one that brings us to our Elams, our, our places of rest, the things that we need. His provision on our Exodus journey is expressed this way intentionally so that we can hold on to hope that when we're not seeing him in the big things doesn't mean that he's not there. This story gives us a bit of hope that just because the seed didn't part from me today doesn't mean God is inactive in my world, doesn't mean that God doesn't care, doesn't mean that God is far away. Please don't gauge God's provision or even his presence with you on whether or not big miracles are taking place around you. He's still with you. He's still for you. He's still leading you into the very freedom that he has promised. So can we, can we choose to trust that he doesn't always have to do the supernatural to provide for us, that the everyday and the ordinary are his provision methods too. Perhaps the ordinary days are God's workstation. And though it may feel empty and dry and like we're literally in a desert, can we trust that even when we don't see it, he's working? We're just saying it. Even when we don't feel it, he's working. He's working on our behalf. He's liberating. He's still the God that provides for us even in the small moments. He's the God of the big, and he's the God of the small. Can we recognize him in those small moments? That's what Elam is calling us to see in this biblical narrative. And so Elam provides that for us, right? It gives us a, an understanding that God, God is active, God is there in the small moments. The Red Sea, which happened right before that, gave us an understanding that God breaks into our world and provides for us in miraculous ways. So we've got miraculous provision, we've got natural provision, but there's actually a third way in which God chooses to provide for his people, and it's based off of what happens in the second half of Exodus 17. So what happens here is the people are, they've left Elam, they've journeyed into the desert of Shin, they've had the experience of the manna and the Sabbath and all these great things, and now they're moving on forward again, right? So they're continuing to go forward. And just here in, in verse 8, it says it really clear, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. This happens I mean, it seems pretty dramatic, it, it, but it does happen just as abruptly as it is written. There is indeed a nation, that, an established nation, that um, starts a battle, an unprovoked aggression against the people of Israel, who had not really been established as a nation yet. You have to think about what would have their thoughts been in that moment. God has provided for us in big supernatural ways. God is providing for us in the small. But now there's a people trying to end our existence. If we lose here, our journey of liberation might be over. There's this whole exodus this thing for a waste? Did he bring us to the desert truly so that we would die? I think those are the questions going through their heads. Another question that I think they might have been asking themselves is, whoa, we've been slaves for hundreds of years. How do we fight against an established people, against an army that probably had weapons and had strategies and, and had different levels of hierarchy? Actually, Moses is funny. He just tells Joshua, go get some people and go fight Amalek. I feel like Joshua's probably a little overwhelmed at that moment. And also, how do you recognize who, like, there's, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of them. How do you know who's the best fighter? Is it the tallest person? Is it the dude with the cutoff tank? How, how do you know exactly who needs to be a part of this journey, of this battle? 
And Joshua has to go and find these people. Who, who's going to be the great military mind to help them move forward? Who's going to be the one that gives them the best strategy to help them move forward? How do you fight a battle when you've never fought before and your entire people's existence is on the table? It's the definition of a crisis. And, and I, I love this. I find it interesting that God, his, his methods are interesting. He, he, he meets his people and matches their challenge. So what we've seen so far, at the Red Sea, giant sea, giant obstacle, right? God shows up in a giant way, right? For the 19th time, parting of the Red Sea, fish, all the things. The next big thing that they face, they're in the desert and it's everyday life. It's just a regular of sustaining and finding water and finding a place to rest and finding a place to make sure that my animals are taken care of. Just the basic everyday needs. And how does God show up then? He leads them to Elam, leads them to the, the place of all the palm trees so they can just breathe and, and rest. He provides for them based off of what their situation is. He matches it. And it wouldn't be any different in this coming situation, right? Because now the people of God are being attacked by a community, by a group of people under Amalek. And God is going to provide a miracle. However, this miracle is not going to be a miracle that is able to be sustained in isolation. This is a miracle that's going to require the community. They're being attacked by a community, and God is going to work in a way that where their community is going to be necessary to sustain and to actually experience the provision of the miracle. God would signify the importance of what a community is, how it operates, and why it's so vital to every single one of our existence. The only way that they will move forward and that they will experience this miracle is through a functioning community. So let's read what the passage has to say here in verse 10. It reads like this. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, then whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur, one on each side, supported his hands. Thus his hands remained steady until the sun set. And Joshua overwhelmed the people of Amalek with the sword. And they have their victory. There are a few things I really need us to lean into and pull out of this passage for our understanding. The first one is this, that sometimes God chooses to require the participation that's only found within our community. Hear that again. Sometimes God is going to choose to require the participation that can only be found within the community he's put you in. This miracle is different from the other ones. Moses, unlike other miracles, is not going to be the only person that God is going to operate through. God's going to need all the people. He's going to need multiple people in that community. God wants to use multiple instruments to provide for his people in this case. The reality is that there will be parts of your liberation journey that God intends on us doing together in community with his people. God uses Aaron, God uses Moses, God uses her, God uses Joshua to provide this miracle. This miracle shows us that God provides for his people, yes, but sometimes in such a way that their community is the only way for them to walk out that expression of provision. The community becomes essential. It becomes irreplaceable. 
a real part of the Exodus journey into freedom. Every role is important. It doesn't matter which role you hold. They're all important in the community. It may be easy. When I read this story, I, I naturally put myself, because I'm a little self-centered sometimes, I naturally put myself as the main character, Moses, right? So I read this, I'm like, okay, cool, I need to be in community. I'll be like the Moses, and I'll have the, you know, I'll, I don't know, I'll be holding up the stick as God's told me to, and I'll have Jethro and Emma and Balana and Ron and Carla and Andrew, and they'll all be all, you know, holding up my arms because I'm not that strong. Maybe, maybe. But... There are other people in this story, right? What if God's actually not called you just to be the one who's lifting your hands, but maybe he's called you to be, in this moment, the one who lifts the hands of the person that's next to you? What if the person next to you needs, hear the word, needs your support? Like, I love the language of this text. It doesn't just give us vague terminology. It says that they are supporting his arms, like, it couldn't be a more clear text on community, right? What if your Exodus journey requires the support of the people next to you? Let's, let's just, I would say take a minute and look, but let's actually take a minute and look to, we're going to do it all together, ready? Look to your left. Hey, good job. Some people know they're left and some people don't know that. It's all right, looking for anything. All right, now take a minute and look to your right. These, unless you're on the end, then it doesn't work, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> These are the people God has put around you on purpose, right? If we believe that God is almighty, all-powerful, that he sits above the world and that he orchestrates things to be a certain way, then he has designed your Exodus journey to include the people around you. You can't just come and attend, right? We can't just come and, and see it. We're called to come and be a part of it. You're called to play a role in your neighbor's journey to liberation, but do we recognize that? Do we know that? That's actually how God plans on providing in certain parts of their journey for them. You get to be a part of that. The people to your left, the people to your right. We are surrounded by people who will lift your arms. I can name so many people here who have metaphorically held my arms up in some of my toughest moments as I waited for God to bring my provision. And, and, and that has sustained me. That has been miraculous for me. But I feel like some of us don't have the same story. Some of us haven't stepped into that aspect of community yet. I believe God is calling us to consider how we could actually do that. God sets up miracles, and he does set up certain miracles in our lives to necessitate the need for community. So whether it's in a community group, whether it's on the worship team or the production team, whether you're a host, whether you're downstairs on the first floor, whether you're with K4C, whether... You're on any, whether you're a mom and there's a mom's group that talks about mom things. These are communities that we have here at the Vine, whether it's Chinese community, Mandarin community, whether it's 180, there are so many places for you guys to, to step into and find people who will lift your arms as God makes you, takes you forward in your journey. There are endless ways for you to be connected and not just be connected for the sake of being connected, but being connected so that you can have the provision that God has orchestrated for you. God often works this way. The question is, would we be willing to, would we recognize and actually take a step in being a part of a community so that we can experience what it is that God has. And if God often works in community through his people, then you'll find that your own liberation 
that much of the freedom that God has designed for you will come through the community that he's placed you in. Let me say that again. If this is how God works through community, then you will find that your own liberation journey, the freedom that he is leading you into, that journey will be designed for you to have a community where his provision comes through. It will be that community where you experience the fullness of God's actual provision for you. So let me, let me just simplify all of these two stories into a couple of takeaways for us and a couple of things that we need to hold on to to, to really get this. These two stories are just basic snapshots of how God provides. Again, the whole thesis of this is that God provides in multiple ways. So as we journey into the freedom that God has for us, the, the thing that we have to sit on, the thing that we have to build around is that God provides. God provides for his people, right? That is what he does. That is who he is. But, but he provides in multiple ways. And if we don't recognize the multiple ways that God provides in, we find ourselves being on the out. We find ourselves missing what he's actually doing for us. If we don't recognize the ways that God provides, we are at risk. We are at risk of falling back into our slavery, feeling that God can't be found because he's abandoned us or that he's lost or that he's forgotten about us. Uh, the enemy would love nothing more, please hear this, would love nothing more than for you to think that your ordinary days mean that God no longer cares, God's no longer interested, God's done working with you. And, and that's a powerful lie because you're going to have so many more ordinary days than miraculous days. So we've got to understand, we've got to recognize that God is still God working in the small, working in the little moments of our lives. That he's brought you out of Egypt and he's not left you alone. Just because we don't see miracles doesn't mean that he's not providing. It can discourage us, it can leave us doubting and confused. But the truth is that God is truly in all of those moments as well. He is providing in the big miracles and the small miracles. The story of Elam sits as a reminder to us to look around and see that maybe it's not something spectacular that's happening this week. Maybe it's just a regular week where you have like, you know that game, not that game, that, that like check-in where it's like, give me your highs and give me your lows, right? Like the peaks. Maybe your week was just meh. No real highs, no real lows. Can you look and see that God is working in that as well? Can you find God? Because again, we're just going to have so many of those days. And, and it, would, it, would, it would be a terrible thing for us to not be able to see God and see his activity in the basic things of every day. The second thing is this. We, we are at risk of pivoting our dependency from God to ourselves when we don't recognize God's provision in the ordinary. This one is, this was, the, this was the point in the entire preach when I was studying and reading that I just felt like, like God hit me with. Like we, the Elam moments feel so random. They just seem so, they're so natural, right? Nothing big and spectacular happened. And if we're only used to seeing God in the big and spectacular, perhaps we're tempted to see that Elam is a byproduct of, of me. Right? The temptation easily can be, well, I worked hard. Israel had a very good sense of geographical location. That's why they found Elam. 
or, or I studied hard, that's why I got this, or I left on time, that's why I got this, or I went out of my way and I was extroverted, that's why I have these many friends. If we don't recognize God's provision in the little, we become little gods ourselves. We think that we become dependent on us to get us through. And here's why it's problematic. Because if you're going to have so many days of ordinary, what ends up happening is that we build our faith on us, on us, on us, on us, on us, on us, on us. And we reach a moment where we need God and we don't even know how to find him. And we don't even know that he's actually the one. And we depend on ourselves and we end up more broken and more disappointed. Could we choose to see that in those moments, God is the one providing in the small? God is the one that is the sustainer of every breath. Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from who? Not from me. We're not the ones that do it. We've got to be able to remind ourselves and root ourselves in the daily things, the daily bread, the, 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 the endless grace, the mercies that are new every morning. All of these are blessings from God. They're his provision. They may not be big. They may not be glamorous. Seas might not be parting, but it's still God. Can, can we see it? Can we guard ourselves from the, the temptation to become overly confident in us? I think one of the best ways we can do this, because I don't want to just leave you with theory, I want to give you something practical. One of the best ways is super simple, super ordinary, which fits the, the theme of today. Thank you. Ah, thank you. Saying thank you, being thankful, small thing, super small thing, but saying thank you a couple times a day, what, what will that do for us? How will that change the way that we see what's happening around us? How will that shift our perspective or awaken our recognition of the things that God is doing? I think if you actually challenge yourself to say thank you for the things that you're thankful for in your life, you'll recognize that daily there are so many things to say thank you for. You'll recognize that daily God is providing. You'll recognize that daily God is proving himself to still be with you and for you. Simple as saying thank you. It's, it's a cute little, cute little thing, but man, it goes a long way. Could you challenge yourself this week? Maybe in the moments where you're tempted to complain and be frustrated, could you, could you ask yourself, what am I thankful for today? What has he given me? I know what I'm wanting. I know where I want to go, but right, what has he done already? I'm still here. <laughs> Thank you. Try that. Genuinely try that this week. And see if it doesn't change the posture uh, of our awareness, of the activity of God around us. Giving thanks is massive, and it'll help us to see that he is the God in the small as well. And here's the third point. I believe the third danger is we face in our Exodus journey is not recognizing the role of community, right? I'm, I'm for the record, let me disclaimer, I, I work at the Vine, yes. I work on the creative team. I am not on the community groups team. They did not pay me to say any of this stuff. But this text, if you read the text for what it says, you can't help but see how essential community is. Community is one of God's methods. It's one of his strategies for providing for us. God isn't always going to use small things or big things or ordinary things or red seas. Sometimes God's going to use people. That's good and bad because sometimes we don't, we don't like people. But that ends up being the avenue in which God chooses to reveal himself. That ends up being the avenue in which God chooses to provide for us. And if we don't recognize that God's provision can often be found through his people, then we, 
we could find ourselves not prioritizing the very community that we're called to be a part of. We can find ourselves on the outside of the very group that God has called us to be a part of to receive his provision. The story of Moses and Aaron and her and Joshua is so helpful because it shows us that's this, that, okay, so Andrew talks about it in, in the video, right? He goes, I put my hands up for three minutes and, you know, that was, it was too long. Now, some of you know this, some of you don't know this, but Pastor Andrew works out a lot. He goes to a gym. No, he has a home. He built a gym in his house. Like, he's, he's pumping weights every Wednesday morning. Um, and he can only do three minutes. <laughs> we should check on his routine. Um, no, but uh, this is the 11 o'clock. He's going to see this. Hi, boss. Um, anyways, <laughs> please don't fire me. Okay, cool. Back, back to the point. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. As great as Moses was, his hands weren't enough. No, none of us can hold the things God has for us on our own. The weight of his provision is heavy. And it requires those around you, the people that when you look to your left and your right, the people that are here in this community to be a part of upholding your hand, supporting your arms so that you can see God's provision through. Will you be bold enough to take a step into community? Because God doesn't just do it for Moses. See, that, that blessing, that miracle, that provision wasn't just for Moses. Remember, this is, this is for all the people. Right? So one person's ability to, to, to be in community and to allow the community to support them, that's a big one. That's something I'm whew, preaching to myself here. Allowing your community to actually support you. Moses could have said, now nah, I've got it. I'll work out like Andrew. No, right? Allowing your community to actually be there for you is part of what God has designed community to be. I, I know there's... I've had great experiences with community. I have some of my best friends actually came to the Vine for the first time today. I won't, I won't embarrass you, but I was so excited they're here. I have great community. But I know that's not the case for everyone here. I know for some of us, there's some legitimate reasons why we're hesitant to, to be in community. Maybe we're really busy. I get that. Maybe we were in community before, and, and we were... We were Stabbed in the back. Maybe someone gossiped about us. Maybe people have said things. Maybe we weren't accepted. Maybe we felt like we were on the outs. Maybe we never truly fit in. I understand that. I get that. These obstacles are real. But can I say that I believe that this community here at the Vine can be a community that accepts you just how you are. This community can be a community that loves you, that lifts your arms, that sees you into the provision that God has for you. I believe that we can be that kind of community. And if we can be that kind of community, why wouldn't you want that around you? If we can be that kind of community, what's stopping us now? from stepping into actually being with one another, not just attending a Sunday. My prayer for us here at The Vine is that we can truly position ourselves to care for our neighbors, to recognize those whose arms are tired and, and who cannot be sustained on their own, and be proactive to ask, to come alongside, and to support them. My prayer for us, for all of us, is that we will do that. And if we're doing that for one another, man, how much is God planning on providing for us? 
How many things is he going to provide for that I just can't wait to see through the people here? Community is so essential. I believe God will call us to consider truly being rooted in community, supporting one another, supporting one another from a place of love, a place of being close, of knowing each other, lifting the arms of those that are tired. So I'm going to close. Um, my friends, my teams, can we come on up? Um, I, I genuinely believe this, guys. I really believe we can be that kind of community, the kind of community that chooses to participate in what God is doing in the lives of those around us, the kind of community that lifts the arms and the hands of each other, the kind of community that's close and that's there, that works together. I also believe we can be the kind of community that can recognize the activity of God because it's so important to be able to recognize where God is moving, what he is doing, what he has done. That is just so crucial. I, I, from the bottom of my heart, it breaks my actual heart to think that some of us do carry this concept of where is God because I don't see the big. And I know that's probably a lot of us here. It, it, I know it breaks God's heart that we can't see his activity. And so today, as we enter into a time of prayer, and into a chance to respond. I believe what the Holy Spirit wants to do is, is reposition us to become people who are alert, who are aware. The Holy Spirit wants to help you see what you've not been able to see before, that God cares about the details about your life. God cares about the small. There's a passage that says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. That passage goes to show you that he's aware of the small, of the details. We serve an intimate God who walks with us through all seasons of life, who has an arsenal of ways to provide for us. And I don't want us to miss out on that provision because we only saw the big or because we're outside of community. What does it look like to take a step today? What does it look like to choose to say thank you, to actually see that, man, God has been constantly at work providing for me day in and day out. God has been working. How can you become better at recognizing it? How can you become better and more aligned to his design of community in your life? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these examples that just show us, again, a clear picture of just who you are, of how faithful you are, a faithful God who works and provides even in the small things. Faithful you are. God, I pray for those of us who are having a hard time seeing your provision in the small. Holy Spirit, would you begin to awaken that alertness? Would you begin to show would you begin to show us just how often, just how regularly, just how close you are and how often you're providing? Would you remind us of where these good things come from? Would you remind us of where the breath in our lungs come from? The source of all good and perfect things. 
God, for those of us who carry hurt, carry brokenness over the idea of community, those of us who are afraid to take a step into community because we're ashamed, because we've been hurt, because we've not recovered from past pains, Holy Spirit, would you begin to start working now in our hearts? Start mending like you do. Start healing like you do. Start making the old things new like you do. May the idea of hurt in the past no longer hinder your people from being in the place of community that you've called them to be. God, would you make us a community that is sensitive, that is patient, that is kind, that exhibits your fruit so that when people do come in, that we will lift their hands and not judge, that we will welcome and not stand back, that we will treat them the way that you've treated us, the way that you've welcomed us into your family, God. Make us into that type of people. Make the vine here in Wanchai a kind of church that's like that. We give you glory for all these things. The God who provides in the big and the small, and the God who calls us as a community to experience his provision together. We thank you for these things. Why don't you stand, church?